Well, if you're willing and able, would you please stand uh, as I read our scripture today on which our passage or our, our sermon is based. Um, our scripture is from Matthew 2. Uh, you can follow along on the screens as I read. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to say hi to uh, everyone here on campus and those of you watching online, wherever you are this morning. Wonderful to have you with us uh, in this great month of December. Uh, Before we get to the sermon this morning, I just wanted to give a quick financial update as we come to the end of our year. Uh, We shared this morning uh, with you about the phenomenal work of our deacon ministry and all that they have done uh, through your support to care for the needs of many who have faced hardship uh, in this difficult year of 2020. Uh, Last month, we uh, shared with you, we received a matching gift uh, that we were looking to put Uh, 100% of the dollars received for our Thanksgiving fund would go out 100% to some strategic partners in need. And we shared during that time, if anything came in above our goal uh, for the Thanksgiving fund, that we would prayerfully consider another partner. And we have decided uh, with the extra funds we have received in light of the hurricane that hit Honduras, that we'd send those extra dollars to our partners who are on the ground uh, working there. And so I just want to first say thanks all the ways that you have given and supported the needs of our community and around the world. Way to go, church. Uh, way, way to be a part of God's work. As we have shared with you, we've asked you to consider making your year-end gift uh, to Orangewood Church and to our general fund. Uh, as we close our calendar year, we're also closing our financial year, um, and we will need to receive this month to meet our budget goal for the year. And this number is a pretty typical number for us for the whole month. Um, And so in many ways, that's incredible, especially in light of the year that we've had and the needs that we've had in our community. Uh, But this is still a pretty sizable number for us to receive by the end of the year to meet our goal. 
And so it will take all of us together, the big gifts, the small gifts, and every gift in between uh, to, to make that a reality. And so I just want to say thanks for all the ways you've given so faithfully, for all the ways generosity has gone forth through our church. And I just would ask that you would prayerfully consider uh, how you could help us finish strong uh, as we close this year. Um, if you're here this morning and you're new with us, maybe you're here for the first time, I'm really glad that you're here. Um, we are in a series uh, through Christmas called Unimaginable Arrival. Uh, we find ourselves kicking off the church calendar year uh, with a season called Advent. Uh, Advent just simply means the arrival of a notable person. And so we find ourselves in the season of waiting, awaiting for the true king who will be born into our world once again this Christmas. And today we see this encounter that the wise men had with Jesus. Uh, our theme for today uh, that was read in our Advent reading earlier is the theme of love. You and I long to experience the great love of God. But if we're honest this morning, maybe we find that it doesn't feel like well, love is welling up within us. Uh, there is a sense, particularly in this year, there are other things vying for our attention. Uh, things that are distracting us or disappointments or setbacks that we have had. And maybe this morning uh, you can connect well with the words of the author Adele Calhoun. She said this, in the midst of a busy, scattered, exhausted, and hurting lives, we long to experience a great love with God. Maybe you long to experience a great love with God. This morning, the, the wise man will show us how. how. How do we experience this great love with God? How, how do we find a love that will set us free from all the distractions and setbacks and disappointments we have all faced? How will we be set free by this love? Well, three things from our passage. We have to examine the evidence. We will have to go a little bit further than we thought. And we will have to enter the house. We'll have to examine the evidence, go a little bit further than we thought, and enter the house. So let's look first at examining the evidence. And what we find is there are a lot of people in this time of year uh, who have issues with the Bible and the stories of Christmas. Skeptics who will say, you know, the Bible, uh, th these people weren't uh, into rational investigation. Uh, they were into uh, made-up stories that, that made you feel good during this season, but they, they, they weren't investigated. There was, there was nothing to these stories. They, they were stories given to, to make sense of life. And maybe you're here or maybe watching online, and that's, that's your take on Christmas. Uh, but what we find is, you know, there was another name for the, the wise men uh, in our passage, uh, and you may have heard of it. They were called the Magi. Uh, and the reason they were called the Magi is wise men, wise men in the Greek is magos, magos. And this word magos, I'll show you here an English word of ours, magos, magic. And so these Magi, these travelers from the East, were more associated with sorcerers than they were scientists. But what we have found is that these wise men were more the rational scientists than they were the sorcerers. They were the intellectual elites. 
You see, up to about 80 years ago, um, many historians and scholars believe the story of the Magi uh, must have been a, a made-up story because, but as they said, the idea of pagan philosophers from the East, most likely from Persia or Babylon, these pagan philosophers, uh, there was no way they would have made the 500-mile journey to Israel to worship this new king. It's preposterous to think that. But what they have found since then has only supported the claims of this biblical passage. First, there were these astronomical events around the time of the first century when Jesus was being born uh, that, that spoke to and gave credibility to these ideas of rulers uh, at this time. In fact, Julius Caesar, who was assassinated in 44 BC, uh, the, the historians say uh, during the burial service, there was a comet that appeared in the sky. And so after that moment, after the comet appeared in the sky during his birth, the, the astronomy business was good. It was really good. It was like Amazon in December good. And so everyone wanted in on this field of science because there was, there was something, there was some connection to the king or the ruler and their birth or their death. Something was happening in the sky. Second, there was a belief around the first century that there was going to be a new ruler who was going to come out of Judea. Uh, we find these ancient historians who at this time had no connection to Christianity, uh, nothing, but they were validating the claims uh, that we find in the Bible. Tacitus and Josephus are just a few to name, these historians. There was this idea that a new king would be born in Judea. This was showing up in everyone's Facebook news feed. It was in all the news. There was, there was one who would come and rule out of Judea. In fact, in 66 AD, Vespasian, who was a Roman military commander, was sent to Judea to squash a rebellion that was beginning there. And so after he was successful in ending that rebellion, he returned back to Rome and began his political campaign to be the next emperor of the Roman Empire. Now, in ancient cultures, they did not have the endless commercial TV ads uh, with the political parties vying for your vote. And at the end of all those political commercials, they say, I now approve this message. They didn't have that. Maybe you would say, I'd actually be thankful to live in a world where I didn't have those amount of commercials on my TV screen. You might be here longing for that. But how, how did they get their, their campaign out there? How, how did they get their propaganda going in this ancient world? Uh, to make known that they wanted to be the next king. Well, one of the best ways to do this in the ancient world was through coins that were used in the marketplace, the coins that were passed when you would buy things. On those coins, it was, it was a common practice that the emperors would, would, would put their rhetoric, they would put their propaganda, they would, they would pass on the good news they had to give to the people of all their victories. One coin that was struck in 71 AD has a picture of Vespasian on it, on one side, and on the other side is the picture of a military victory and two words, Judah conquered, Judea conquered. There was a sense, even by this pagan Roman emperor, this pagan Roman culture, there would be a king who comes out of Judea and this Roman emperor named Vespasian was, was taking part in the rumor that was in the air. So we see these wise men were not flippant journalists from the National Enquirer. No, these men were students of the stars and they were just following the logical study and scientific inquiry that led them 
to follow a star to Judea. Now, we cannot know what the star was they saw. Was it a supernova? Was it a comet? We cannot know what it was they saw. But whatever it was, they examined the evidence. And they left the familiar and the known for a 500-mile journey that would take many months with great upheaval to their lives because they saw something in the sky. I I love the way the great poet T.S. Eliot tells their story in his poem, The Journey of the Magi. He says this, for such a journey and such a long journey, the ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter and the camels outraged, sore-footed, unmanageable, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, the things we left behind. And the night fires going out and the lack of shelters and the cities hostile and the towns unfriendly and the villages dirty and the charging high prices, a hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping interrupted with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. I think this is a great picture of what the wise men probably felt on that journey. Was this all a sham? Did we we miss this? Was the journey worth it? Did we miscalculate the stars? You see, at modern people, we sometimes think we're the more rational people, not given in to these kind of superstitions. These kinds of people in the ancient world were given into fables and myths. And this is the picture that we see of Sigmund Freud, the psychoanalyst. He wrote this in The Future of Illusion. He said this. Religion is a system of wishful illusions together with the disavowal of reality, such as we find nowhere else but in a state of blissful, hallucinatory confusion. Religion's 11th commandment is, thou shalt not question. Thou shalt not question. But everything we see from these wise men is that they were committed to examine the evidence, to follow the star wherever it would lead. And the question this morning is, have you? Have you? Do, do, you, do you find yourself making claims against Christianity, and, but you have, you, you're only going off of what others have told you? You, have, you haven't even read what these people in the ancient world said about Jesus himself, these claims that were made. Have you followed the star? I invite you not to be irrational, but to examine the evidence and let it lead you. Second, we will have to go further than we thought. What do I mean? Well, if you, we read this in verse nine, it says this. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Uh, the, the wise men journey and, and come to Jerusalem naturally. They, they come to the urban city and they come of all places. They arrive at the Herodium, which is Herod's palace. This is the place you would have assumed that this newborn king would be born. He would be born in the palace, the, the king they have been searching for, but they are informed that he is not here. The irony of it all is that these men from the east are Gentiles. In fact, they are rational skeptics just following their study of the stars. They have no preference for Judaism. They have no bias at all in this story but they are the ones who are willing to do anything possible 
to search to find this Christ child. Have you ever had a situation where you simply did not go far enough in your research of something and it cost you? I don't know if you've noticed, but whenever you sign a policy or a, a, a contract or a document, there usually is this endless 52 page document with very, very, very small print that's been put together for you that you must sign. And, and in those moments, what psychologists know about you is that your brain cannot stand waiting through all of that fine print, cannot stand waiting through all 52 pages of that document. And so what we do, these companies know this is that you will sign your name at the end of that document, agreeing to all these terms with no knowledge of what is buried in that fine print. Now, it's okay if you do that. In fact, companies are counting on you that you will not go far enough in your research. And they will even have fun with you at times. I read an article from NPR, True Story, about a Florida-based travel insurance company called Squaremouth. And they instituted the, quote, pays to read campaign. Here's a statement from the company. They say this, quote, we understand most customers don't actually read contracts or documentation when buying something, but we know the importance of doing so. We have created the top secret pays to read campaign in an effort to highlight the importance of reading policy documentation from start to finish, unquote. Square Mouth estimated that only 1% of their policyholders were actually reading the documents that they were given before they signed their name. And so part of their, quote, pays to read campaign is to, in the fine print, they buried a single statement that the first person who emailed the company about the pays to read line claimed a $10,000 prize. A high school teacher in Georgia claimed that prize money. So you will not get that. But other companies, knowing your lack of attention to detail, knowing that you will not go far enough, are not as generous. In Manchester, England, in 2017, 22,000 people signed up for free public Wi-Fi, inadvertently agreeing to 1,000 hours of community service, including cleaning toilets and, quote, relieving sewer blockages. The company called Purple, based in Manchester, England, said it inserted this clause in its agreement to, quote, illustrate the lack of consumer awareness of what they are signing up for when they are accessing free Wi-Fi. Now, apparently the British just love having a game with this. They know your lack of detail. They know you won't go far enough. Uh, this one story, uh, a few years earlier, uh, several people from London agreed to, presumably inadvertently, they agreed to give away their oldest child in exchange for Wi-Fi access. Uh, before, they could, before they could get on the internet, you, users had to check a box agreeing to, quote, assign their firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. According to news outlets, six people actually signed up. But the company providing the Wi-Fi said that likely this clause would, be, uh, would not be uh, enforceable in the court of law. The company said, quote, it is contrary to public policy to sell children in return for free services. Theologian Herman Ritterboss said that this situation in our story today reveals the failure of the Jewish people, not in their ignorance, but in their devotion. He essentially said they knew where the king of the Jews was going to be born in Bethlehem. They all knew it. 
But it's these magi from the east who have the devotion to go just a little bit further. You have to imagine the scene. These magi, they, they come, they come explaining, not only to Herod, but our passage says they, they come explaining to all the chief priests, all the scribes, the, the religious leaders, and they confirm what the magi have found in the stars. They, they quote the Bible to the magi. Uh, the magi have come, they're just following the star. They, the religious leaders are the ones who quote to them, oh, you, you just need to go a little bit further to Bethlehem. That's where you need to go. Uh, but notice their response is not, oh, well, please let us go. Let us follow you. Please let us go with you on the journey. They don't say that. They basically said, uh, hey, let us know what you find. We must go a little further, friends. Bethlehem is only five miles south of Jerusalem. It's, it's just a little bit outside of the city. And when the wise men left Herod's palace, the star was still up in the sky, letting them know, you just need to go a little bit further. New Testament scholar Leon Morris wrote this. It, it may be the wise men had given up looking for the star when they got to Jerusalem, feeling that their journey was over. But now they realized that they had still some distance to go. And once again, they saw the star. Friends, do you need to go a little bit further to Bethlehem this Christmas? Maybe you know the Bible like the scribes in this passage, but this year just feels like there's apathy in your soul. Uh, we've, we've traded the comforts of the palace for conviction that there is a greater and better reality just out ahead of us. A conviction that if we just went a little bit farther, uh, it would take us to maybe some places that we weren't aware of, but it will take us to a person that once we find him, there will be joy no matter the circumstances we face. An overwhelming joy for no matter what we faced, including 2020. You see, that's what happens in verse 10. The next verse, it says this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This expression in Greek really denotes this idea of they were deliriously happy. Deliriously, a joy that overwhelms them, a joy that consumes, a joy that overtakes. And to think you could have missed it if you didn't journey just a little bit further. Uh, my wife, Rachel, is originally from Texas. Uh, she, like anyone um, from Texas, has no problem letting you know that they are from Texas. But early in our marriage, we lived in Houston and had several opportunities to attend Houston Astros baseball games. And I remember um, we had some extended family in and, and we just took the whole clan, everybody, all to the baseball game. And we were there together and the Astros were, were down going into the bottom of the ninth by two runs. And when that happens, you have a decision to make. Do you stay and the Astros lose, which is a high probability down by two runs going into the ninth, bottom of the ninth. If you stay, you get caught in the endless traffic leaving the game. But if you cut out early, if you leave early, you beat the traffic. 
Now, this was a hard decision because we had, we had small kids that were part of our, our tribe that were with us that day. So it was, okay, do we stay? We get stuck and then we, we've got small kids in this or do we leave early? It was a very tough decision, but we decided to stay until the end of the game. And with a slicing double to left field, Lance Bergman drove in the final run and the Astros came back and won. And friends, I cannot describe to you the pandemonium that was in that stadium. These were pre-COVID days, pre-COVID days. We were, we were high-fiving stranger. We were high-fiving people we'd never seen. There were people sitting next to me. I have not even introduced myself. I have not even said my name. I have not even said hi to them. But after this moment, they are hugging me, jumping up and down, just in sheer glee, uh, deliriously happy. It, it, it's very obvious uh, that they were not drinking water. They were drinking, just not water. There was no concept of social distancing. And because we went just a little bit farther, exceeding joy. If you're willing to go just a little bit farther this morning, there is a salvation and a love that will allow you to find joy no matter the situation you are in this morning. How do you find this love? How, how do we get this kind of love? How do we get this kind of life? Well, we can't just journey a little bit further. We will have to enter the house. This is what it says in verse 11. It says this. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Friends, this is how you find the love of God for you this Advent season. You must enter the house. You see, we've all entered some house. There's, there's something that we have fallen down to worship. It could be our career. It could be our looks. It could be our kids. It could be our money. Uh, there's, there's some house that we have entered and you can tell what it is for you because it occupies your mind. It occupies your worries. There's a house that we have entered and we are finding that there are ill effects, that it simply does not satisfy us fully like it promised. But the gospel declares the good news that no matter where you have looked and to whatever you have given your allegiance, there is a true king that is being born into our world and he alone deserves your allegiance. We must fall down and worship him. We, we, we are in the presence of the king. Have you entered the house? Have you entered the house? Here's a couple ways for you to know that you have entered the house. First, like the wise men, you bring your gifts, not as the grounds of your salvation, but as a response to your salvation. Uh, not as a way to control, but as a sign that you've given up control. You see, gift giving can be an incredible way to control others, especially during the Christmas season. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a great little article entitled, What Christmas Means to Me. It has all the sounds of joy, has all the sounds of being deliriously happy, all the sounds of celebration. 
Only till you start reading the article that Lewis penned and it just shares the exhaustion he finds with the Christmas season. And one of the most dreaded things of all, the unwanted gift, the unwanted gift. He writes this. The modern rule is that anyone can force you to give him a present by sending you a quite unprovoked present of his own. It is almost a blackmail. Who has not heard the wail of despair and indeed, indeed of resentment when at the last moment, just as everyone had hoped that the nuisance was over for one more year, the unwanted gift from Mrs. Busy, whom we hardly remember, flops unwelcome through the letterbox and back to the dreadful shops, one of us has to go. Now, before you label Lewis as Mr. Scrooge, we've all been there, every one of us. At the 11th hour, we receive that gift from that person, which simply provokes frustration in the season because we know we have to reciprocate. Back to the store we go. But these are not the gifts of the story. The wise men come with their gifts and they offer willingly in response to the salvation they receive. You see, generosity just starts to flow out of your life, not out of duty, but out of sheer delight. I love the way uh, the great hymn writer, William Cooper, put it. He put it this way. To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. This is how you know you've entered the house. Generosity just begins to well up in you and through you. And it is just simply getting out onto people all around you and throughout the world. You can't, you can't help it. Second, you will know you entered the house when you begin to see a sensitivity to God's leading in your life. We see in verse 12 that the wise men were warned in a dream not to return to Herod. You know you've entered the house when you start to trust Jesus, not only with your afterlife, but you start to trust Jesus with your life. You begin to live your life with him. You begin to not only trust him with your afterlife, you begin to trust him with your daily circumstances that you are facing, the daily mundane situations you find yourself in. You begin to bring them to him, that he will give you wisdom on how to navigate the business decision, that he will give you guidance on how to navigate issues with your kids, that he will be close to you in the job search, that he will take care of you when the bank account looks worrisome. That you can give him your worries. You can give him your worries because you know you are not alone and he can be trusted. That you know he will be with you. I love the way C. John Miller puts it. He said this. The most difficult thing to do in life is to draw near to God without any reservation. To say you have nothing that it's yours. It's all his. To say you will follow his star, his glory, and not your own. What the wise men did is a stirring example of what God wants us to do. Through their astronomical study, the God who became the baby in the manger guided them to worship him. And their coming to the king of grace ushers in a new age. These wise men had extraordinary joy because they saw the divine glory in Jesus Christ. And they gave everything for it. When the heart has seen the king, 
Nothing really matters but the glory of the king. And then your life is fulfilled. Friends, like the wise men, you are invited this Advent to come and worship the king of grace who has come into our presence. Oh, come. Come, let us adore him. He is Christ, the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you for the great love of God that has drawn near to us in the person of Jesus. And may we, like the wise men, enter the house and fall to our knees in worship. Teach us to trust you with our decisions and our disappointments as we seek to live our lives with you, Jesus. Knowing you have saved us and knowing that you are the true king of grace being born into our world again. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen.